welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka, and this is our co-host. Hi, I'm Aaron. All right, so the story we have today takes place in New Mexico, um, which if you recall, Aaron, I had hoped to visit this year. That's true. Yes, now I had actually convinced Aaron to go on a fall vacation to New Mexico. We were going to go on outdoor adventures. We were going to look at really awesome art. I was very much looking forward to it and all the adventuring. Yep. But as you've probably figured out listening out there that 2020 ruined that plan. Yes, it did. Yes. So 2020 does not want me to see mountains or be happy. That's the conclusion I have come to. Yeah. And I have to say that we complained way too much in 2016 about all the celebrities dying. And then 2017 about whatever bullshit happened that year. I forget what we were even mad about. Yeah. And like 2020 is our punishment. (laughs) Probably true. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm learning to be positive. um, Or at least I'm telling myself that I'm being positive. I don't know if I'm actually succeeding at that. I think you're succeeding pretty well. That's the lesson I'm taking into 2020 is like maybe stop complaining about the year being bad because then the next year just keeps getting worse. I feel like that's what's been happening since 2016, but I don't know. Maybe it's just me. All right. Well, let's get to the story. I'm not going to keep talking about COVID stuff. Or am I? Or am I? I don't know. All right. Let's get to our story. So it's August 30th, 2003 in Las Cruces, New Mexico. It's the Saturday of Labor Day weekend and celebrations are kicking off all over the city. Now, the city of Las Cruces is a college town in the southern part of the state, near both Texas and Mexico. So definitely close enough for us to have gone there. Yeah. We could have gone there. All right, I'm going to calm down. Now, it's on the edge of the Chihuahuan Desert, so the climate is arid and it's home to desert plants and wildlife. And off in the distance, you can see the outline of the Oregon Mountains. Cool. Yeah, now as a fun fact, I looked up how the Oregon Mountains received their name, and it turns out they were originally called the Sierra de los Organos because they resemble organ pipes in a cathedral. Um, It's not actually about body organs, which is what I previously thought. Well, that would kind of go with the theme of this podcast. I know. I thought it was super ominous when I looked it up, and I, I was trying to find out what the name of the mountains were was because I saw organ on there and I was like, oh, that's not the name of a mountain range. Yeah, like what kind of organ is it? Yeah. You know, like the heart, <laughs> the liver, the lungs, you know. Exactly. Like. And then when I saw that, when I saw that was for sure the name, I'm like, wow, that's very ominous to have a desert where people, because people do dump bodies in the desert, like that's a thing. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, and we're just going to name them the organ mountains. Like, we found a bunch of organs up here from all the body dumps. We're just going to call it the organ mountains. Fine. Yeah. You might as well just call it, like, Serial Killer Valley or something. I know. know. But it's all this, like, it's like this beautiful reason for the name. Like, it resembles the pipes. I was like, and they really do, though. Like, I looked up pictures of this area because, as everyone knows by now, of course, I Googled the place. Um, and so I was looking at pictures, and it does look amazing in Las Cruces. I definitely would want to go there. And there's art museums. Super great town. But also the mountains do look pretty cool. They look like they do look like organ pipes if you look at them from certain angles. That's pretty cool. Okay, so back to the very scenic Las Cruces, New Mexico, where 22-year-old Catherine Sepik, who goes by Katie, is a graduate student at New Mexico State University, and she's studying for her Master of Business Administration. Now, her family and friends say that she was super smart and always got good grades, 
And according to one report that I found, after graduation, she may have planned to pursue a career in marketing or media communication. Now, her family described her as a happy, hardworking girl who was also the life of the party. Um, and she was the oldest of three children. And she grew up in Carlsbad, New Mexico. Um, I did see that her family called her Kamikaze Katie. Apparently, she was kind of a fireball. And she was always trying to do everything, so they called her Kamikaze Katie. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of identify with that with her because I'm always trying to do everything and doing way too many things. So I feel like if my parents had been more creative with nicknames, I might have gotten something like that. I could see that, yeah. Yeah. Um, did you have any um, nicknames as a child that you can share that are not password hints? <laughs> password hints. Um... I probably did, but I'm not thinking about it. Like some of my my mom's relatives used to call me Bud for a while. Um, I say so, Bud. Some of them still do call me Bud, actually. But uh, Bud's the name I use when I'm being like a little patronizing, you know, like no, like, when we talk about the police officers that mess up on this on this podcast. I'm like, that's your job, Bud. Yeah, something like that. Um, I feel like there were other nicknames that I can't remember. I don't know. Yeah, I had some. I was always trying to get people to call me other names. Like, I had other, like, I wanted to be other names, like Kimberly or, or Nikki. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe I didn't get as many nicknames because I was constantly being like, I'm not Danielle anymore. This is my name now. And everyone was just like, what do we do with this? <laughs> they would not call me the new name. Not always. I did get Nikki for pretty far, though. There you go. So, there was that. <laughs> All right, so in addition to attending school, Katie worked at El Sombrero Patio Cafe as a waitress. And not to get back off topic, but I just really want some queso and salsa right now and maybe a margarita. That sounds good. I did make enchiladas today. I feel like I had them on the, on the brain because I was finishing up the research on this case today. And El Sombrero um, definitely sounds like a delicious restaurant. I've never been there. I've never even been to this state, but I'm just over here fantasizing. And it made me also wonder, do you know if we got to keep the COVID to go alcohol here in Texas? I have no idea. Um, yeah, because for COVID, we were supposed to be able to get to-go drinks, although I have not gotten enough to-go margaritas, I have to tell you. And I feel like we need more alcohol rights in Texas. I, this is the new podcast I need to start is Alcohol Rights for Texas podcast we'll start that one after gun facts with danielle it'll be alcohol <laughs> rights with danielle. With, with danielle yes because no because people are wait, always going on over here about al- wait, wait, hold on. alcohol advocacy with aaron and danielle oh that could work yeah there you go yeah just everyone is always going around, around about like my rights over here that's all we hear about in texas like it's hard and then yet i can't get liquor at grocery stores which is bullshit or get alcohol at all times of the day which is also bullshit and I want to pick up margaritas from restaurants and drink them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's still a thing. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna check. Tomorrow is not Friday. Oh crap! Is it Monday today? Today is. We Monday. are recording this on a Monday. There's the whole four days till Friday. Damn it! Now I remember that it's Monday. Okay, well <laughs> I'm just saying. How come the things that I want are not rights? Like margaritas forever. Also other important things, but also margaritas. Okay, so I'm off topic. I'm sorry about that. This podcast is not about me and my desire for margaritas. Back to our story. 
Katie and her roommate Tracy Waters shared a rented house in Las Cruces, and the day before she lost her life, Katie and Tracy actually had been at a local mall window shopping, and there Katie found a beautiful turquoise ring that she wanted her boyfriend to get for her, which is just a sweet story. Okay, is she going to murder her? Because it's less sweet if he murders her. I'm not going to tell you right now, (laughs) but you're right. It would be less sweet if that happened. Okay. Now, exciting things were happening in Katie's life. Aside from grad school, she also had a friend's upcoming wedding to look forward to, where she and her friend Tracy would be bridesmaids. Um, And also, as I was reading this, this is so selfish, but I feel like it would ruin your whole wedding if your close friend and bridesmaid was killed before the wedding. Like, spoiler spoiler alert that she was killed, but seriously, um, obviously, it's more sad that your friend died, but how are you supposed to enjoy yourself at that point? Like, I feel like the whole day would just be like a wash at that point. Like, why even do it? It would definitely be, like, hanging over the wedding, I think. Yeah, Yeah, I would be sad as fuck, like, all day, just being serious. Now, on the night of Saturday, August 30th, 2003, Katie attended a party with friends just a few blocks from her home. In total, about 20 or 30 people attended the party, including her boyfriend, Joe. Now, at this point, I want to note that at least one source said there were 50 or 60 guests, so it was unclear to me if it was, like, a 20 to 30 people party or a 50 to 60 party. But regardless, that's kind of a big party either way. And I think it's super easy to lose track of your friends and who is still there when your party's that size. I could see that. And that's kind of what happens here because her her friend, like, didn't notice when she left. So I think it's con- totally conceivable that that could happen at that size party. Now, many of the party guests, including her roommate and boyfriend, actually slept at the place where the party was held. Um, But Katie decided to go home instead. And the reason for that is that according to the Las Cruces Sun News, Katie got into a fight with her boyfriend while at the party. Now, according to several people who were there, she caught her boyfriend kissing another girl, which is some bullshit. That's some bullshit. Yeah, especially since they had been in in like a long-distance relationship because they were at different colleges at the time. And then he's visiting her, and then he's going to freaking kiss another girl at the party? Mm-mm, no. Uh-uh. uh-uh. So, allegedly, she caught him kissing this other girl, and they got into a fight. And after the fight, she just decided that that was the end of her night out. She's not staying at the party anymore. And she's going to walk off home to herself. That Our, sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. And so, part of the thing, though, is that because they got into this fight, and it was 3 a.m. when she decided to leave... She just, like, stormed out of the house without her purse, so she didn't have, like, her phone or her keys or anything like that. It was literally just herself. That's definitely a bad idea. Yeah. Now, she only lived about two or three blocks um, away from the party, so it's not a very long walk. I think three is about average. I did see one place that said five. There's different reports that range from, from two to five, but three seems to be the most reported. So that's very, very close. I mean, three blocks is nothing. That's true. And so she lives in this quiet neighborhood in this college town, and everyone believed it to be super safe. So she's thinking, this is a very short walk. I'm just going to go home. Now, although Katie did make it back to the rented house she shared with her roommate, she would never make it inside. I've got a bad feeling about this. This isn't going to end well. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories. A paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. 
Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. No, it's not. And it's actually like, I feel like this, the way this crime happens is so shocking and so random that it's like, literally this could happen to anyone. I mean, I know that being out at 3 a.m. probably is a dangerous activity, but in a, in like a nice town where like it's crawling with college kids, like that's a normal thing. I mean, we, where we live, we live in the middle of the city in Houston. There's people out on the streets the entire night. Like we live across from a pub and even in COVID <laughs> just being serious, like there's people out there at like two and 3 a.m. Ho- like hollering and poking around and stuff. It's ridiculous. Not so, um, that this is a good decision. Don't go to bars right now. Because of COVID, not because bars are bad. <laughs> yes, but, that's very true. But yeah, like it, I, I can totally see being out like that. Like it doesn't seem like that risky of a behavior. So as she walks home, just this three blocks that she has to go, a truck veered close to her and nearly hit Katie. Now, fortunately, she remained unscathed for now because the owner of that truck, Gabriel Avila, stopped to talk to her. Now he's also in his twenties at the time of the crime. Um, and he, at first he says that he stopped to make sure Katie was okay. And he offered her a ride according to some sources. Now Katie said no, which is a good decision points for you, Katie. Cause that's what you say when some weird guy offers you a ride at 3 a.m. Always say no. <laughs> she says no. Plus she's like right by her house. And he decides that he's going to follow her home, which he claimed was to make sure she got home safely. That sounds like a lie. Yeah, which is ironic considering what happens. All right, so Katie does get to her house, but she couldn't get inside because if you remember, she left her purse and keys and everything at the party. Right. Now, instead of like going back to the party to try to get her keys or just decide to sleep there instead, she thought the best plan here would be to climb through the window into her bedroom. Now, I was, like, impressed with this decision-making because at no point am I trying to climb in my window. I feel like that's a good decision, though. The climbing in the window? No, the not climbing into the window. Like, I feel like trying yeah. to climb in your window is not a great life choice. Maybe. I mean, to be fair, I have climbed into the window when I was a child and my mom locked us out. Hi, Mom. Yeah, she locked us out of the house and she, like, boosted me up into the window as a small child and had me go and lock the door. But at this point, there's no way I'm getting my fat butt into that window. I'm just going to be honest. Like, this is just I'm a recipe for the cops having to get me out this window because I'm stuck. <laughs> I don't think that's how that would go. Not like because the window's not big enough. It's just it's too high. Like, I just don't have the strength, I don't think, to, like, pull myself over it. <laughs> like, I'd just be hanging down, like, just bent over, you know, like, help. <laughs> I'm not strong enough. Just, like, falling out the window. Plus, most of our windows are on, like, the upper stories. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, scale the whole building yeah. and then get into, like, the second story? <laughs> like, this is not going to work. That would be kind of tough. Yeah. Like, this is me trying to climb a bush. It's not going to work. All right. So, while Katie was attempting to get into this window, Avila came up behind her. Because, of course, he did. He told authorities later that he, quote, lost it. So, he follows her home. And he, so that she's safe. And then when she gets home safely, he's like, time to make this unsafe. There was too much safety. There was too much safety. So he attacks Katie and he admitted that he raped her below her bedroom window, just feet away from her sanctuary space. 
which I thought was somehow it's extra gross. I don't know. I don't know if it's just me, but the fact that like she's right outside her bedroom just makes it like extra bad, I guess for me. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. So Katie fought super hard against her attacker and she scratched him up really good because she managed to get his skin and his blood underneath her nails, which would be instrumental in solving the case. And when he had finished with it, he strangled Katie with his bare hands. That monster. Yeah, so at this point, she's passed away. Now, during the attack, Katie's shoe actually came off. And later, it would be found below her window, which is one of the things that would help them conclude for sure that she made it home there. Because it was, like, it was found underneath the window. Right. Because, you may be wondering, why wouldn't they know she came home? She's been murdered right beneath her bedroom window. Wouldn't that be where they found her? Well, you would think, but instead of leaving Katie's body there where it would be quickly found, Avila decided he would try to get rid of it because he's a super douche. As if it's not bad enough that he stole her life, now he's going to prevent her family from ever getting closure because he's an asshole. That's definitely a dick move. Yeah, because like, I feel like watching these true crime shows, one of the hardest parts is, obviously, anytime you lose your relative, it's going to be, or your friend, or just anyone, honestly... It's traumatic. It's tragic. It's horrible. You've lost this person. It's senseless. And, like, everything is going to be different from that day forward because you lost this person suddenly. And just the way, if they're taken away from you for no reason, like, it's bad enough when people die from, like, natural causes. But to have someone murder them, I feel like it's extra super bad. But then the the idea of, like, having them to bury and having them to, like, you can go to the cemetery, you know where they are, you have resolution, that is meaningful for people. And the fact that he tried to take that away on top of taking her away from them is just extra, like, gross to me. Yeah, for sure. All right, so he takes Katie's body and he puts it in his truck and he drove her down to the the area, like the Las Cruces area's old landfill site, which is in the desert. Um, and there he tried to burn her body using alcohol as, like, an accelerant. Oh, yeah, so he also partially burned her body because he's an asshole. Yeah, seriously. All right. Now, despite Avila's attempts to hide the body, so he does all this work to steal his body and, like, damage it further. But it actually was totally fruitless because it was found the same day anyway. Like, literally, it was still early on Sunday, the same day that he, like, it's Saturday, overnight Saturday is when he kills her. And, like, literally, like, pretty early in the day on Sunday, they find her body. Uh, Some target shooters who were out, I guess, in the desert to shoot targets, spotted Katie's partially clothed, partially burned body lying near this old landfill. And so they notify authorities, and of course the authorities are there immediately and figure out it's a homicide basically right away. Yeah. So they start investigating this crime. Now they don't catch him very quickly. This is a really long investigation, but it's just the fact that like he denies her like the dignity of just being found quickly outside of her house. Although I guess it's better that her friend didn't see her because I'm sure her friend would have been the one to, fi- to find her if she were outside the house. All right. So when the authorities get there, they notice that there's bruising around her neck and signs she'd been drugged on the ground. And additionally, authorities noted burns on her back and right arm from where Avila tried to burn her body. And according to her father, Katie's face was bruised and contorted in pain which to me just sounds horrible. And I have to say, skipping back, her father is the one who was called in to identify her body in the morgue. And according to Katie's mother's like testimony and like statements that she's made, 
he actually like collapsed and then said he wanted to be with Katie. Like he wanted to die too after he saw her face. That's really tragic. And I feel like that has to haunt you forever. And it just made me like off topic for a second. Remember when we went to the museum of death? Oh God. Yes. Because like reading and hearing the description made me think of that trip because um, if you haven't been there to the museum of death, it's not what it sounds like. Like I was expecting things like exhibits about funeral rites and like memento mori pictures and like death traditions and maybe like some voodoo like death stuff because it's New Orleans. So like you kind of expect voodoo, mm-hmm. but there's like a little tiny bit of those things. Like there were some awesome memento mori pictures, which were cool to look at. But like most of the exhibits are actual dead people in crime scenes. Yeah, and, like, gruesome <laughs> depictions of, like, murder and murder weapons and mm-hmm. serial killers and all kind of crazy shit. Yeah, yeah, and, like, not in a way that... And, again, like, I love true crime, and I'm I'm obsessed with it, like, to the point where it's kind of gross. And, like, I worried there was something wrong with me because I like true crime so much. I was like, oh, am I a secret criminal? Why am I so into this? Like, I've liked true crime since I was a child. It's kind of weird. <laughs> But then I went to the Museum of Death and I realized I'm totally fine. Yep, totally. <laughs> because normal. that was really, oh my God, some of those pictures, y'all, are like, they're disturbing. And I feel like that's what made me th- it made me think of when I heard the description of her body is these like disgusting, bloody, gruesome pictures that honestly, I never want to see, <laughs> see anything like that again. And like, I just want to say, I'm not trying to disparage the museum. I mean, if you, ha- if you are able to go to New Orleans, and you ha- you don't know what I'm talking about. You want to see what I'm talking about? Like you can. There's definitely some unique displays there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go there. I now have an appreciation of the people who blur crime scene photos for like crime shows. Yeah. I used sure. to get annoyed by that when I'd be like, why are they even showing this this like crime scene photo when it's all blurry? And now that I've seen like actual like disgusting crime scene photos, I'm like, thank you, crime scene photo blurry guy. Our girl, because you're like killing it over there, not literally. Yeah, real American heroes. <laughs> real, yes, that real American heroes commercials. Yes. That's what they need. The people that blur the crime scene photos, because. Mr. Crime scene blur photo guy. Yeah, thank you, because I don't have to throw up anymore. Yeah. Good job. Like I was literally in the museum of death, like trying not to throw up in my mouth. Like, I I feel like I'm starting to have a theory that it's a social experience experiment where the guy who owns it maybe he's like a psychology student. Or, like, a professor, and he runs the museum to, like, see how people will try to, like, save face. You know how they have that one where you have to, like, electrocute someone? Maybe this is one where you have to, like, look at the murder scene and then pretend like you're totally chill with it. Because you're in a public place and you're trying, you paid, like, $30 to go in and you're just like, oh, my God, I did not realize that this was going to be so bloody. And you have to kind of act like, oh, I'm fine with this. Yeah, like, I totally want to look at this shooting death that is disgusting yeah all right so don't look at the photos guys uh so now katie's roommate knew immediately when she got home and she that katie was not there that something was wrong because katie you know didn't make it home from the party so she started calling her friends and also katie's family to try to figure out where she was and she reported katie missing right away so points to her because she was clearly on top of it and looking out for her friend. And honestly, she helped identify Katie's body fast because they found Katie that same day and they had her report saying Katie's gone. So they figured out pretty much right away who their victim was. That's good. Yeah, so that's good. Now, initially, authorities looked closely at Katie's boyfriend, Joe. 
Now, after all, he'd fought with her the night of the murder and allegedly had kissed that other girl, which is a big red flag. Plus, he lied to police initially about having the fight and said they had gotten along all night. They, the police only found out the fight happened because other witnesses told them that they had witnessed the fight. Yeah. So that's like a huge red flag to police because they're like, oh my God, this guy had a fight with her and then lied to us about it. Red flag. Yeah, plus it's usually like the boyfriend or the husband or the wife or the, you know, like the spouse mm. is usually the guilty party. Yeah, anyway. or at least the suspect. Yeah. All right. Now, also, a ring that the boyfriend had given her, like a really pretty diamond ring, had been stolen from her hand after the murder, which, you know, could be concerning. I mean, maybe he was mad he won his ring back. And additionally, he'd been calling her... Af- like he'd been calling her phone after the crime and they, they took that as like a possible indication of guilt because I'm not sure why they drew this conclusion, but I kind of understand why they did. They thought that the boyfriend called her too many times for it to be like legitimate calling, like a boyfriend who's had a fight with his girlfriend and wants to make up. They felt like the amount of times he called seemed like he might've been trying to create an alibi. Like he was looking for her. Hmm. Um, and then also too, he did tell police that he drove by her house and then just kind of like looked and didn't see her and then left, which was drawing suspicion from them. Right. All right. So now the police had that DNA from underneath her nails. So they asked the boyfriend, like, can we have your DNA to compare it? And at first he said yes, but he quickly changed his mind because he got advice from a lawyer who told him, do not give your DNA to the cops. So like, I totally get why he wouldn't want to give the DNA to them because they were dating um, he later told police that they had had sex earlier in the day. So it makes sense that he would he would have, like, casual DNA on her, you know? Yeah, sure. It's, I mean, it's like if you live in a house with someone, and he was he was staying with her in her room. So it makes sense that, like, he would be worried that her police would find, that the police would find her DNA on him anyway. But the refusal makes him look so guilty. Yeah. Like, so guilty. Absolutely. So I have to ask you, would you give DNA in this case? Uh, you know, I've watched enough of these shows where they like railroad people with you that I probably would not just because, uh, you know, I don't want to get railroaded, but I mean, honestly, like I would probably want to, but you know, cause I obviously know that I'm innocent, but again, I don't want to go to jail by getting railroaded, you know, so probably not. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to figure out what to do. Um, okay. So at first he looks like an amazing suspect and because of the refusal to give the DNA, and the fact that he looks like such a good suspect, Katie's family initially banned Joe from the funeral, which I totally understand. I mean, it sucks for him that he didn't get to go because they they did love each other and stuff. But, like, as the family, there's no way that as I was trying to grieve my loved one that I could have a potential suspect there, especially if he wasn't giving this DNA because I would be hella suspicious. All right. Now, after Joe refused to give the DNA, the police were, like, totally on top of it. These are not some unsolved mysteries, police. They are killing it over there. They figured, hey, this is a boyfriend and girlfriend. They're young college students. They were in a long-distance relationship. He was staying with her during Labor Day weekend. There's a high probability they had sex. So they go and, and they take Katie's sheets, assuming that they probably had sex, and sent the sheets off to the lab to see if there's male DNA. And what do you know... They found male DNA on the sheets. So they compared the, the sheet DNA to the, the, the killer's DNA underneath her nails, and they determined it was not a match. So at this point, they're feeling pretty sure that Joe is not the killer. So they contact Joe, let him know what's up, and he finally agrees to give a sample. 
And thankfully, that DNA actually did clear him. Good. Now, I, th- I want to say that as I was reading this, I think there's a real possibility that if this case occurred like 20 years earlier, or if the cops just weren't as like on top of it as they were, that there's a real possibility that that boyfriend might have been in more legal trouble or even ended up accidentally convicted because it's the DNA that really helps them exonerate him. Other than that, they have a really strong case. He seems like the person. Yeah, sure. Especially because it came out in all, all these reports that Las Cruces didn't really have a reputation for having random crimes, which this was a random crime. And so everyone in the community had assumed it had to be someone who knew her because, like, random crime, it just wasn't common. Like, they didn't have that kind of situation where people were just murdered. So... It, he looks, aside from the DNA, he looks so guilty, and then here he is being completely innocent. Now, in addition to Joe, they all the police also looked at other partygoers during this investigation because they didn't think it would be the, the random crime. And fortunately, authorities just kept working on this case because it took three years for them to identify um, the actual suspect. And during that time, they were able to do things like they determined that the tire tracks of the dump site matched a small truck, so they knew their killer had a small truck. They profiled the killer's DNA and found that he likely looked Hispanic. They also followed other leads, like, for instance, they found a similar crime in Wisconsin, and they found that that suspect and ruled him out. And then they also um, even ran her case on America's Most Wanted at one point. So they really, like, hustled to try to find her killer. Yeah, that's good. And in December 2006, they would finally work out because Katie's case heated up when police got a match to the DNA under her nails and on her body. And that DNA matched Gabriel Avila. Now, Avila was already in prison at this time for the aggravated burglary and intent to commit aggravated assault in, in like, an apartment. Um, which he did commit in November 2003. Now, this is about three months after he attacked Katie. So, pretty much right after he attacked Katie, he was in jail. But in that case, um, it's it's kind of a, an escalation of his Katie crime. Because even though it says he, he burgled, what actually happened was he broke into a home that was shared by two female college students that was the same school as Katie. And he came in through the back door of that house with a knife. Holy shit. Yeah. So, like, if you're going into a house to burglary, to, like, to rob it, thinking that there might not be anyone there, that they're sleeping, why are you bringing a knife? Yeah, for real. He didn't go there to rob nobody. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, the girls heard him and were able to lock themselves into the bathroom and call 911. So, police got there super fast, and they caught Avila and were able to arrest him. Now... During the reports about Katie's case, the police said they were thought that he actually planned to assault one of the women, not just commit a burglary, which kind of tracks. So it's possibly an escalation of like the first crime where he like randomly picked Katie and then raped and like strangled her. Like maybe he intentionally brought that knife to the scene to to rape and murder another girl. But this time he was being more intentional about it. Yeah. All right. So that was kind of what they thought was happening. Um and according to a police interview on Dateline, they they think that he didn't realize there were two girls there, so he wasn't expecting there to be two that could, like, work together to get away. Yeah. Now, after that arrest, because of state law, Avila had to submit DNA. Like, because he went to jail for it, that's why he had to get the DNA at the time. 
um, since all prisoners who commit felonies in, in New Mexico had to give DNA sample, samples. Um, now, these samples are put into the system with the goal of solving cold cases. And in this case, it totally worked. Yay. Yay. So technically, this might have saved other lives as well. Because if they didn't get that DNA from him and match it, then it's possible Avila would have gotten out of jail after his sentence for that crime, which is only nine years because all he did was break into the house because you know, they caught him. Um, so it's possible that after nine years, he could have gotten out and had a chance to hurt someone else. Because yeah. he would have been in his mid-30s at that point. So he would have had plenty of time to commit more, more rapes and murders. Mm -hmm. That's just my opinion, but... I think it's possible that this was, not only did it solve this case, it also probably protected future victims. Yeah, definitely. All right. Now, police confronted um, Avila with the DNA evidence and also a ring, a ring that Katie had had. Now, for this ring, um, they actually had gotten it from his old truck because after they matched his DNA to the crime, they went and found the person who had bought Avila's old truck that he had at the time of the crime and talked to her and she gave them the truck and along with the ring that she had found inside of it. Now, this ring was for sure identified as Katie's diamond ring that was taken off her body. So police at this point realized he must have taken it as a trophy. Yeah. So he was like, had it in his car to remember the crime. That's messed up. It is messed up. So when they go to like interrogate him, they tell him they have the DNA and the ring. And that's the point at which Avila realizes that the police can prove what he did. And he finally confesses to the crime and even provided details only the killer would know. So they're sure this is their guy. Good. All right, which is great. Yep. So at, so at this point, they have him go to court. He pleads guilty to rape and first-degree murder, among other charges. And at the sentencing, Katie's family and roommate ask for the longest sentence possible, considering that they'd be without Katie for the rest of their lives. Now, he asked for a lighter sentence because, of course, he did. Yep. All right. So, in May 2007, he received a sentence of 69 years in prison. And that sentence will start after he finishes that nine-year sentence for the burglary situation. All right. Then, he has to serve 30, of the, 30 years of the 69-year sentence before he's eligible for parole. So, in total, I believe that means he has a mandatory 39 years before he's able to be released. And I think that means he basically will be there for the rest of his life, pretty much. Good. And, like, hopefully they won't parole him, because being serious, like, he's... To me, it's obvious that he's, like, a repeat criminal. I mean, after the first crime, he goes in immediately, like, a few months later, starts trying to commit another crime. Like, come on. Yeah, for real. All right. Now, also, I personally don't think this is relevant, but in the interest of not leaving out factual information, Avila was a Mexican national, um, so that's part of it. I don't really think that that should be a reflection upon upon other immigrants that he was a national and not like a citizen here. But, you know, that was something that's mentioned in a lot of the reports, so I didn't want to leave it out. But I just want to state from a personal standpoint, literally every single group of people has criminals in it. So I don't really know that it's like matters that he's in a Mexican national since like we should not be painting broad strokes here. Absolutely. But I'm also not going to exclude facts. So that's factual information. Now at sentencing, Avila asked to apologize to the family. And I just also wanted to add that I had mixed feelings about this as well, because I think it's obviously good if he really does have remorse. But at the same time, I think I feel like a lot of these apologies feel like they're more about the wrongdoer than the victim. Like, like I need you to hear me apologize more so than like, I'm actually sorry and like feel bad about what I did. Yeah. And I feel like it should be up to the victim's family if they even want to listen to it. 
I agree. Because, I mean, I know forgiveness is good, but, like, you can't force people to be in a place they're not. And I feel like this is such a hard thing that I don't know that I'd want to hear it. Like, him trying to be like, I'm so sorry. It's like, you should be sorry, but I don't want to listen to your crap. Yeah. All right. Now, Katie's legacy includes a law that was passed in her honor that requires people suspected of certain crimes, like murder, rape, and robbery, to submit DNA when they are arrested. It's called Katie's Law, and as of 2020, it's been passed in 31 states. Now, part of me is, like, super supportive of this law, especially as someone who, like, consumes a lot of true crime material. Like, obviously, I want them to catch the criminals all these times. But at the same time, it's only for people that are arrested of the crime, not convicted, so it kind of seems a little bad because privacy, you know, I, like... Obviously, I'm not as big on my privacy. Like, I suck at it. But for super private people, it is hard to say, like, arrested or suspected of a crime. Because then it's like, there are a lot of false arrests made, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, I think it's a great area. I totally see both sides. And to be clear, I don't agree with criminals getting to hide evidence or, like, not help. Like, I do think it's it's frustrating when there's someone that you're pretty sure might have done something and they won't give their DNA. But I think there needs to be, like, more discussion about when is the best time to take it. Because definitely, like, they need to take the DNA at some point for some of these crimes. And I think it should be mandatory. I just don't know if I'm happy with, like, the arresting part. Yeah. Maybe, like, when you're indicted. I don't know. It's hard to say. Because I do know that, like, based on Katie's mother's testimony in support of this law... There are multiple cases that they were able to uncover where if they had taken a suspect's DNA when they were arrested, they would have stopped, like, a whole string of crimes and saved a lot of victims because, like, some of these people end up being career criminals, but a lot of their charges, especially in the beginning, the things they're getting caught for are, like, small things. I think it's kind of like how, what is that mob boss, the one that's, like, Al Capone, where he actually went to jail for, like, tax evasion but he was, like, literally a mob boss. I think it's kind of similar to that, but with, like, like where people are getting arrested for things like drugs or things like that. But really, they are, like, raping people and, like, are, like, murdering people. And it's, like, they're just not getting caught for those big crimes yet. And so that's kind of where, where they're looking at these cases where with some of these, like, big crimes that are, like, smaller felonies, they if they, if they t- DNA test them early, they can actually stop, like, a whole crime spree. Yeah. So it's it's hard to say what the best decision is, but I mean I am all for saving victims. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's something that's maybe a gray area, but it's still a good thing that they have this law. Sure. Overall. Yeah. All right. So that's the case of Katie Sepik. Um, I'm it's super sad, or was I thought it was super sad, but at least she's had a great impact on the world thanks to that law that her parents fought so hard for. Yep. What do you take from the case? Uh, I mean, I, I agree. It's just really a sad, tragic thing. I mean, it's just it's just senseless, you know, and, and that's the it's the hardest part of it. Yeah, I think it's extra scary when you, like, these types of cases, I feel like, stand out to me because they're so random. It reminds you that literally anyone can be the victim of a crime. And I love to, like, I go on walks and do things like that. And, like, I'm constantly hyper aware, but it just makes you realize that sometimes you can you just be going about your daily life and end up a victim and it's it's just tragic when that happens i think it's scary for all of us 
I also think it it's a good representation of how like when the police keep an open mind and like work with the evidence, they can do such amazing things because I feel like this case could have become, you know, a tragedy where someone was convicted on false pretenses or, you know, like a circumstantial case was used to, you know, prosecute the boyfriend or something. And it could have harmed like more lives in the long run, but because the cops were like so on top of it and did such an amazing job, they were able to get the right guy and keep him in prison. Yeah, definitely. And I think that was amazing. Like that really stood out to me. I feel like they deserve a lot of credit for that. Yeah, they're definitely not unsolved mysteries cops. I know. I was like, as I was reading the stuff and like watching their uh, the crime shows about this, I was like, dang, like these cops are on top of it. Yeah, definitely. It's just nice to see that. <laughs> Like nobody made any terrible decisions. Like they're from like start to finish. It was like a perfect, it was a perfect case. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We will have a new show for you, for you again this week, later in the, at the end of the week. And, um, I hope you have a terrific week and a happy true criming. Bye. Bye.